Welcome to the Res Life Podcast with Dr. Chris Riley and Dr. Alex Schuper, the medical podcast for those at any stage in the medical field, from pre-med students through attending physicians and anyone else who wants to learn more about the field of medicine. Make sure to subscribe, like, and comment on this video to provide feedback on medical topics you would like to learn more about. Okay, everybody, welcome to the next episode of the Res Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Riley. Dr. Schubert couldn't make it tonight, but we have a very special guest tonight. It's uh, Dr. Vinny Patel. He's a family medicine resident uh, at Inspira uh, in Vineland, New Jersey. Jersey guy. That's how, that's how it goes. A big fan of Wawa, obviously. We know that. Um, so, uh, Vinny, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the listeners? Uh, I just want... Hold on one second. Before we get into it, I just want the listeners to realize, you know, this is uh, this is our new segment that we're doing. It's, uh, you know, uh, So You Think You Can Be, or, you know, one of these uh, introductions to each specialty in medicine in general. And we are talking to some awesome residents uh, from our personal lives or people we've met along the way um, to explain a little bit more about their specialties. So, Vinny, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. This is super exciting. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, like, you know, where you're from, different hobbies, that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Vinny Patel. I'm a first-year family medicine resident here in New Jersey. Uh, Grew up in New Jersey and then, um, you know, decided to do med school. So um, from high school, I got into, like, the seven-year program down at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which is where I spent the last seven years doing undergrad and med school. And then um, really was involved in like uh, basketball. It was like my whole life in high school. It was just like if I wasn't like doing homework or this kind of stuff, it was like basketball. We played like um, all four seasons. So just had a general interest towards sports, working out, exercise. And that's like kind of what my hobbies consist of, just kind of like working out and then ma- making time for work. So then, uh, yeah, do, I decided you, uh... I wanted to – yeah, do you okay. do you play any uh, pickup basketball now in residency? You ever play with the residents a, or anything? Yeah, we have a league where we go to like this random, this really nice random neighborhood near our hospital, and like we'll just go play there. But then sometimes there's like these high school kids, and like they kick us out, so we have to go whenever it's available. Oh, those damn high school kids! <laughs> yeah, but no, I try to play. It's just like I'm so um, I'm really into like working out in fitness. I'm just like so afraid to like break something, tear something, and playing basketball, and just like. I'll just be like miserable if I can't work out. <laughs> yeah, of course. I, I'm right there with you, man. Um, and if you guys don't follow Vinny, you want to tell him your uh, your fitness uh, Instagram too, because uh, I know yeah. obviously you have your regular Instagram, which you know uh-huh. you can shout out too. So I have um, my medical page, quote unquote, and like my like my day to day is at mm-hmm. Vinny Patel, and then I also have another page at Ravin Patel underscore which i do sort of my fitness stuff um it just kind of turned out it was just kind of a place for me to post workout videos and stuff in the beginning but then i was like you know i really want to uh incorporate this into my career long term so i got like my personal sort of uh personal training certification through nasm and you know have kind of propelled that page as well so i'm working eventually trying to combine them but for right now they're just so different that yeah I'm just working on both, I guess. No, I think it's awesome. I think it's great that you have uh, other passions outside of medicine. And, you know, that's uh, really important for our listeners. You know, you're going to get to a point in your career where, you know, medicine's not going to be enough. You have to find things to do outside of it or you're going to drive yourself crazy. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I feel. 
um, I'm sure you feel the same. Yeah, similar to what you just said, it's kind of like you spend your whole life trying to become a doctor. You try to get into residency, but like, you know, once you match, it's exciting. You know, now we're in uh, the thick of it. You know, okay, again, you'll match for fellowship. But then after that, it's like if you have this sort of personality that drives you this far, you need to, uh, you know, your personality is just going to crave fulfillment and success in other fields. And that's why it's so important, like you said, to have, you know, other passions that you're still pursuing like more long term. So important. So, so Vinny, why don't you uh, explain a little bit about the seven-year program? I mean, I, I've you know, some of these listeners are high schoolers as well who are really mm-hmm. interested in medicine. So, you know, talking to them about how they could go about getting into a you know program in college that goes directly into medical school. Tell us about yes. that experience. So, I made a decision early on, like eleventh or twelfth grade. You know, I really wanted to pursue medicine. Uh, a friend had told me about like these seven-year programs. So you apply right out of high school. They have a certain MCAT, AC, or sorry, SAT, ACT requirement and grades. You apply to the program. So it's like if you apply to like my school, Nova Southeastern, I had an undergrad and a medical school. So you're essentially applying to both programs at once. So you have to get into their undergrad. And then like for their med school, they give you um, like this probationary acceptance where it's like, okay, we'll accept you under these like four terms. So like, every program has a different thing. Like I chose Nova Southeastern specifically because it was the most, um, the least requirements I would say, like um, in terms of some programs, like you need a three, nine GPA every semester. You need like uh, 38 on your MCAT. I'm like, if I need to do all that to get into this program, I, why don't I, if I'm like, can do that, I can just go anywhere yep, I want. Absolutely. So, but you know, with Nova, it was like, they had a GPA requirement, like 3.6, I think, and it was across the whole year, which was more fair because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you're taking Orgo as a freshman, so it's like you're just going to get an A in Orgo. So, I mean, I'm not that type <laughs> of person. So you basically apply to there. You apply and um, you interview with some of the med school faculty and the undergrad faculty um, throughout the program, and then they basically grant you the admission, and then every year you're reevaluated, and it's kind of like you're re-signing the contract basically every year where it's like, all right, you know, you got the good GPA, and then the MCAT score, they tell you, it's like the average of what they accept. And then once you get that score, you go through the uh, application pro- process through AMCAS. And then, you know, you obviously go to the interview for med school uh, during your junior year. And then, you know, it's a, it's more of a, you know, you're still interested, like, is this guy a good fit? And then you're basically accepted. The only downside to that is it's so rushed. Like, like I said, you're taking Orgo as a freshman, you're fitting Orgo, physics, biochem. I took all of that in my first and second year. And then like, the summer after first year of college, I was already studying for the MCAT because I had to take it um, my second year of college. You know, and most people take off like six months or three months to study for their MCAT or they're taking it their junior or senior year. But, you know, so that's one of like the downsides of like these programs. And it's like you kind of I don't want really to say you rush through it. I mean, obviously, I'm happy that I'm starting off at a younger age in my career uh, in residency. But there's also I tell people do it with caution because there's other like you know, if you really want to do other things outside of medicine first, if you want to travel, if you want to, you know, do a different job, if you want to go to a different country, like it's doing a program like the one I did, like doesn't really afford you that luxury. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, there's, uh, there's always pluses and minuses to gap years and, um, you know, different programs. I, you know, I'd never really heard of the, this kind of seven year program. That's really interesting. It sounds pretty stressful too. I mean, um, you know, in terms of your growth, I mean, what was what was it like going right from undergrad into medical school like that so abruptly? Yeah. So I guess it's twofold. It's um, half of it was 
all my best friends were about to experience their senior year. And it's hard because like all of them are ready to relax. Like everyone's like, all right, I'm about to take a year off. They're, you know, a different major. And then I'm over here. Like I step into med school at, I started at 20 and everyone else has like three masters was a nurse before EMT, all this stuff. I'm like, I just like volunteered at a hospital once. Like, and then like the first test, I get absolutely destroyed. I like barely passed and everyone else getting like hundreds. It was like, I'm like not as smart as these people. And like everyone just like makes like I don't know, that was my experience. Everyone just kind of made like made it known that they were smarter and it's like, oh, you're younger, but you don't know anything. And that's how I felt. Like even just practical hospital things, like I even when I got to third year, I was like, I don't know how this works. I've never actually been in a hospital like this, but people who were scribes before who were nurses, mm-hmm. they kind of knew the flow and like, you know, how to interact. But it's like when you're so streamlined just into books, it's like you don't get this ancillary knowledge that's equally as important, I feel like, because you know, after second year, like the book knowledge goes out the window. It's really like the clinical stuff that you're learning third and fourth year that it's super important that I feel like some of these people that had, um, you know, legit clinical experience, mm-hmm. they had upper hand with. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It's really interesting to hear the other side of the story because, I mean, myself, I did two gap years. I scribed yeah. in the ER, like I got my master's. Like I had all these opportunities to, yeah. you know, have an advantage over people that Mm -hmm. I went to school with and I didn't even like think of it that way um so it's really interesting to hear your perspective is there anything like that you would tell our listeners when they're weighing uh you know going straight to med school versus Mm -hmm. a uh, gap year um so I get asked this question a lot for people who are like hey should I take a gap year and it's like if you're if there's things in your applications where you need a gap year then you need to take it. You know, if you're not getting that MCAT score, if your GPA isn't that good, if you are overwhelmed at the thought of starting medical school, I definitely recommend taking a gap year. However, if you know it's something you want to do and you're kind of one of those people where it's like, if I take a year off, I may not come back to this or, you know, like I just want to kind of keep the ball rolling because that's what I decided. Like, you know, looking back, it's like if I had, had I taken a year off and like seen the life that I lived like fourth year of med school, like I would never have like restarted this. Um, but I think... That was my likes. Um, but uh, what, what's important, though, is, like, I guess, looking back, now that I've made it here, like, you know, I'm just turned 26 as a first-year resident, it's not, like, it's easier to say now. Like, I look back, and I'm like, wow, I, like, got here. But it's, like, you know, if I was 28, I'd still be a first-year resident, you know. And, but I could have, like, traveled somewhere. I could have done all this. But then again, I have people in my program who are like, damn, I can't believe, like, you're young. And, like, you know, I wish, like, I didn't waste two years just, like, doing whatever I was doing. I wish I went straight through, but it's like grass is green on the other side. Of course. Like I'm telling them like, like some of my friends have been to like every country and like done all this stuff. And I'm like, and they're like, Oh, it doesn't matter. You're like already in residency. I'm like you're in residency too. And like, you got to, you have all those experiences, but they're like, you know, you'll have an attending salary to go do all those things. And we kind of just like backpacked and stuff. So you're going to have different life experiences. I think whatever, if you get in the first time and you're ready to go, just go. But if, you have any doubts or there's certain things like, you know, I don't want to wait six, seven, eight years to do. And like, you know, some people want to start a family, whatever it is. Like, I think everyone has to, it's like case by case. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. It is case by case. It's uh, it's very situation dependent. Uh, yeah. The gap years, that's, that's a, that's an extensive conversation, but anyway, back to you, we could talk yeah. about, you know, that kind of stuff all the time, but we really want to get a little bit more information about uh, family medicine and, you know, mm-hmm. your a journey towards family medicine. So what actually got you into family medicine? Mm-hmm. Um, 
so again with like the fast like career path i was like people like oh what kind of doctor do you want to be i never really thought of it um initially i was thinking er so i was like first and second year i was involved in a bunch of er things i would go to like, these er shifts and i was just kind of like when i got to like my clinicals and i saw it i was like i don't know if i could do this forever but then um you know family medicine people would always be like oh you'd be good in family medicine and i was like uh, i don't really know i'd think that'd be kind of boring. I wouldn't want to do that. But then I worked with some amazing preceptors that like, were like, I feel like, um, and I tell family medicine attendings this all the time, like med school does a horrible job of portraying what family medicine is. Like if you work with the right family medicine doctors, you'll be like shocked at what they do in terms of like um, how they actually will like alter patients' lives. It's like you, we, there's a stigma that you get these just like super non-compliant patients who don't want to listen. Like, obviously we have a bunch of those, but we have so many people where we like, they're on the edge of like tipping over and we just like bring them back. Like they come to us with like all these crazy problems from these specialists that like don't explain anything. And we're just like, well, you should get this because of this. And like, Oh, like they never explained that to me. Like we're doing like all the time. Like, like just today I did like cortisone injections for like hair loss. Like we did like, um, I do a bunch of like ortho injections. So there's like so much you can do. And it's like such a great variety. Cause it's like, it's never the same day. Like obviously you have your hypertension, diabetes, chronic management, but there's so many, new acute problems that you have to really be like the first person to like pick up that there's an acute problem, you know, cause like so many people just go to urgent care. You see like all the, like the urgent care ER for abdominal pain, but it's like, if you just came to one primary care provider, like we'd be like, Oh, you know, you, this looks like you have IBD or IBS or, and you just kind of better medicine. I don't know. So I've, I, I just had a lot of good experiences in third years in private practice with people who were, their scope was just so huge. And it was like incredible to see like, uh, just how like the patients really like trusted, you know, family medicine doctors and just the rapport they had, you know, like just how they would talk to certain patients in different ways. And just like some like would yell at them and be like, come on, man, like, you know, you need to do better. And like, I know, I know. Like, and as a student, they'd be like, oh, like doctor, whatever is going to be so mad. I did this, like, you know, so it's a cool relationship. And like, yeah, yeah I was, I was going to say, um, you know, from the ER perspective, what we see is we see all the people that are non-compliant, whatever, or they'll yeah. be like, oh, I want, you know, I want everything worked up now, but I have no continuity of care. But we don't, what we don't see are all the patients that actually are turned around by you guys, right? Mm -hmm. You always see, I mean, it's the same thing with EM. When we admit people, like that's all the admitting doctors see. They're like, oh, great, another admission. But they don't see all the mm -hmm. people that we've dispoed out of the ER. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that patients, I think, need to understand is that, like, you know, from an emergency medicine perspective, we're not going to treat your chronic problems. We're not going yeah. to. Even if someone comes in with asymptomatic hypertension, we're not going to treat them. And yeah. they're very confused as to why. They don't have primary care follow-up. My biggest thing is I find a primary care physician for every patient that comes in, whether mm -hmm. it's a clinic or um, family doc, whoever, whoever. Yeah, yeah. And it's... It's very frustrating to me that, you know, the whole expectation of, um, you know, I need to go to the urgent care, I need to go to the ER, and people aren't establishing primary care. But yeah. like, like I just said, there are a lot of people that do, and those are the people that we don't see, which is good yeah. that we don't see them. I, I don't want right. to see them in, in the ER, ever. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, and it's, yeah, like you're saying, it's just um, people have this expectation of, like, we have so many people that come in like I haven't seen a doctor in six years, their labs are all out of whack. And then they expect us to fix everything in one visit. And we're like, my program director is huge on selling us this. She's like, just tell them like, come every month for the next like three or four months and let us like figure this out. It's like, 
they're coming with like hyperlipidemia, diabetes, like new onset, all this stuff. We're like, let's like lose some weight. Let's like start like some metformin. Let's do this. And like, you'll just give us some time, like be patient. It's like you running to the ER, you running to this person's not going to fix these issues. Like, and these issues didn't just, you didn't just turn 50 and all this stuff happened. This is like 50 years. So that's why I try to tell like some of our younger patients, especially like when they start like vitals and like they start to gain weight, their blood pressure is like 142. I'm like, you have to fix this now because I don't try to scare them, but I'm like, this is the reality of where you're headed. And like, you have so much control. Like even people who are like 50, 60, I tell them like, you are in control. Like let's do something about it now. Like this is easy. Like to give up, this is easy. Like when you have to go to dialysis three times a week, it's not, you're not going to like that. Like, absolutely, man. This is uh this is a big problem, but you know, I'm, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad you're focused on explaining that to these patients. And yeah. you know, it's not about the scare tactics, but I don't know when people come into the ER and they have like, you know, 200 something over whatever, and they're asymptomatic mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh yeah, I haven't seen primary care in like two years and all this stuff. I haven't been on meds. Well, and I, I, I'm blunt with them. I'm like, look, you're killing yourself slowly over yeah. time. And, um, you know, it's sad. It's sad. But, you know, we appreciate what you do because you keep a ton of people away from the ER. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I don't want people coming in the ER. Right, right. Um, so that's that's awesome. So, I mean, that's a great explanation of why family medicine. I, I think it's yeah. it's awesome that it's a holistic approach to the patient. Like you said, you're very into, you know, fitness, basketball, physical activity. Mm-hmm. I, I have a feeling you may want to do something with that in the future. Yeah, like that's uh, that's another reason that helped me get into sports medicine or to family medicine is to ultimately pursue sports medicine as like kind of my like longer term thing and kind of incorporate that with some wellness preventative medicine, more directed practices in terms of people who wanted not like who people who are serious about like, you know, reversing all the damage that they've done in the past. And like you said, a lot of these things are asymptomatic until they're not. So it's like even me, it's like if there's a problem and it's like, I'm not going to do anything about it. Like, if you don't feel it, but it's like when your stomach hurts that bad, yeah, let, let's go to the OR. My shoulder hurts. I can't play basketball anymore. I'll go to ortho. But it's like, you know, like your sugar is uncontrolled. I don't feel it yet. But as soon as you start having blurry vision, all this stuff. That's the ticking time bomb, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we'll, we'll get back to, uh, you know, uh, fellowships a little mm-hmm. bit later. Um, yeah. But why don't you talk a little bit about like family medicine residency in general? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, are there any specific rotations you do? Um, yeah. You know, how's your experience been so far? Yeah. So um, I guess just to break it down, this is a thing I, I didn't, I thought more people knew about this, but there's two types of family medicine programs. There's opposed and unopposed. Um, unopposed programs are programs where family medicine is the only residency in the entire hospital. So when you go to, gen surge rotation it's the attending and you if you go to er there's no er residence it's the family medicine person on ob it's the same thing um i go to what's called sorry that's unopposed i go to what's called an opposed program where there are other residencies there so when i go to er it's like the attending three er residents and me when i go to ob it's like whatever two ob residents and me um i guess there's two schools of thoughts where it's like you should go to a unopposed program so that you can be the person doing everything. Um, I chose an opposed program because I was like, you know, if when I go to OB-GYN, when I go to ER, like I don't have to be the one, like it's a, like, I'm fine with not learning. Like I don't want to be the person to put in a chest tube at like 2 a.m. by myself. Like I, I don't plan 
to do that ever in the future. Like I'm not, don't plan to do a C-section at any point. Like I want to focus on like, what are the things that like, um, one of the big things I focus on when I go to a rotation, it's like, all right, why am I referring to like cards? Like what are they doing that I can't do myself, you know, in terms of like, or if you're on endocrine, it's like, all right, well, we the hemoglobin A1C is like 12. Like what are they going to do? So it's like, those are certain things where I can make, all right, I don't need to refer to that. Or if they're, or I know what to order before referring. It's like, all right, you know, I'll get an echo myself. I'll, you know, do this. I'll order all this stuff. So when you get to cardio, it's not like a wasted visit. I hate that. It's like, we send so many people, we just kind of dish them off to whoever. And it's like, well, why don't you just get like these labs and like this basic workup that this specialist is going to need to save the patient the appointment. But in terms of residency, it's, um, it depends on how your program set up. Ours is pretty inpatient heavy. So like our intern years spent three months of inpatient uh, medicine. So it's basically, people always wonder what family med inpatient is. It's exactly like internal medicine. It's like the only difference is that we admit our own patients that we see in our own continuity clinic. So it's like, if you were here, like if you got sick in New Jersey, you would go to a hospitalist, right? But like people in our area who go to our practice every month or every year, like when they get sick, we admit them and we take care of them, which is awesome because they're not just like, like you would be like a random person to the yeah. hospital. We don't know any yeah. of your meds, any of this stuff, but for them, we have like months and months of hospital notes or office notes that we're able to translate into the hospital. It's like, you know, like we were monitoring this and now we finally have to get like a CTA. We have to yeah. get this. And on um, top of that, you also have the continuity of your patient physician relationship, which is yeah. something that I don't ever get to do unless you mm -hmm. know it's a frequent flyer or, you yeah know, of course. <laughs> one of those people and, and what's good about that is also is like we feel safe discharging earlier than you know traditional hospitals because then it's like hey like you know what it's friday like we're going to discharge you but like definitely come monday like your appointment's at 8 a.m like so we're able to follow it and we know we we know who to trust and who not to trust essentially who will come back who won't sort of deal that's pretty awesome man um yeah that, that's a that's a really cool perspective um, so anybody listening to the podcast, just realize family medicine's all encompassing. Um, and you do get that continuity of care, that physician patient relationship, and you have the best physician uh, patient relationship. And in my opinion, um, from what I've learned throughout the past, uh, you know, four years of med school and a little bit of residency right now. So, uh, Vinny, you know, you, family medicine has several different options for loan forgiveness. Um, can you like dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So um, the ideal, like the, what PSL, PSLF, public, public service loan forgiveness for those listeners who aren't familiar with it, it's um, essentially a contract. Let's say you just did three years of traditional family medicine, internal medicine, pediatrics, anything in primary care and going to an underserved area and underserved people have this notion that like you have to be out in like, the middle of nowhere it's like there's places like when i was in school like that were like 10 minutes from like literally downtown miami that were considered underserved you can be like 20 minutes from philly like some of the like richest areas and be underserved so you don't have to work in a community where it's like you're disconnected from everything so basically you say hey um you know i'm i want to start this public uh service loan forgiveness and i'm going to commit 10 years here I'll get a lower salary. You know, they'll pay you, let's say, 50, cent, uh, 50 cents on the dollar for every year that you work for them. But in the end, after 10 years of working, all your debt essentially gets eliminated. Um, you know, you think, oh, why doesn't everyone just do that? It's very difficult to achieve that. Um, you have to make 
the payment, you still have to make payments on your loan. So it's like, I think it's a 120 qualifying payments. So it's for 10 years, uh, 12 payments. And it has to be like um, at a certain time in a certain bank account and the paperwork all has to be like perfect for them to accept it. Cause so many people make it like seven or eight years and then like one payment is off and they're like, okay, you have to restart, you know? So it's a area of frustration for a lot of people. So a lot of people just choose to be like, I'm going to find a hospitalist job. I'm going to find a regular job and just pay it back myself. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to say a lot of the things I've heard are people saying, oh yeah, you know, um, this one person I know, they, they didn't re up, uh, at the certain date that they were supposed to re up and then they lost everything or, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's, uh, it's really sensitive, but if you stay on top of it, it seems like it's, it's definitely a viable option. Yeah. And then, um, it's, you just have to choose whether it's like, would you rather go make it, would you rather take a job that you enjoy in an area that you like, you'll make more money and then you'll figure out how to pay it back. It all depends on your situation. If you are in enough debt where you're like, I really don't know how I'm going to pay this back. It's definitely mm-hmm. a viable option. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Vinny, why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, different kind of fellowships you can do from yeah. family medicine. Yeah. So family medicine itself comes with, um, a lot of fellowship opportunities. Obviously sports is one that I'm super interested in. A lot of people do geriatrics as well. Um, just kind of specializing in the older population, um, focus more on patient populations that are older, not only in the outpatient setting, but in nursing homes and VAs as well. Um, there's sleep medicine, there's palliative care, which is huge. Um, I know you can do some sort of pain management. I, I don't know if that's synonymous with palliative care or what sort of fellowship that is. There's also EM fellowships. I think there's like five in the country where you can do a FMEM fellowship and then you're boarded in EM and then can like work um, as EM doctor. But I know that um, FM, a lot of people do urgent care and you don't need a fellowship. It's kind of like they just go into that or some, some of the old school family of medicine doctors, like before from like way back, they'll just work in these like lower tier emergency departments that are not, not like level one, obviously like, less, less, not as tertiary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it seems like there's a lot of viable options from family medicine. You could go directly into family medicine. You can do sports medicine. Um, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of fellowship options and how does that work? Is it, can you explain a little bit about the match? Have you like, you know, looked into that at all? Yeah. So I was looking, well, I can only speak for sports specifically, which I was looking at, but it's essentially at the end of your second year, you're repeating like the dreaded match process again. It's you're doing um, the application and all that. You submit your rank list, and then instead of like all waiting all the way till March, it's in January. It's like the first week of January. So I guess uh, July of your second year, or it's like one of the first months of third year. It opens up, and then you find out midway through third year if you match or not. But some programs, like just for anyone listening, for other residency programs that may be different. Like I know orthopedics, they match in their fourth year. Like, mm-hmm. so it varies uh, year by year, but you'll yeah. know by your third year. Yeah. I know EM in general, we have like our own match system. Um, and there's like a million different fellowships. Um, yeah. And yeah, I know that we're not involved in the main match system. Um, but okay, cool. And you know, you're definitely going to be applying for sports. Yeah, I'm, like, trying to do, like, a lot of work right now in terms of just, like, finding cases. Like, I kind of try to take all the musculoskeletal cases that come in, do a bunch of injections, kind of just get more um, hands-on training with that and, like, just reaching out to, like, sports medicine people. I just feel like I, that's what I get excited about for the from the clinic and just 
taking a different approach. Like a lot of people would just like shy away from MSK stuff. Cause it's like, I don't know what to offer after like they come back and their proxen didn't work. So yeah, you know, there's so many different like modalities we use, like we can do trigger point. We can, yep. you know, just like different imaging and stuff is really interesting. And then just getting to read the images and kind of see if what you suspected is like legit, you know, yeah. what it ends up being. Absolutely. And I was going to ask about MSK stuff. I mean, I know yeah. you're you're a DO. Do you ever do osteopathic manipulative like medicine OMM uh, in in clinic and you know for patients? Yeah, yeah. So we have a um, once a month, a half day before didactics. We have an OMM clinic, so it's like twelve times a year, and we take all the patients for the month that you know present with chronic MSK pain. Um, and we just do OMT. So it's like the few residents that want to do it. And as an intern, you get to get involved with it and you can do, um, OMT. And it's just for like kind of the MSK patients that one, it's on, want to check it out, see what it's about. And like almost all of them, like absolutely love it just cause it's, it's like a lot of the manipulation stuff we do is like, you know, there's like, um, there's a spectrum. Like we do really intense, like manipulation stuff for more of our younger agile patients. But like, you know, some of our older patients, we do like a lot of articulatory soft, soft tissue really like um like low-key things that you know help them a lot like they'll be you know i feel so much better after i was after that was done so we definitely get the opportunity to do it Mm -hmm. and you know speaking of the do you know perspective in general can you talk a little bit about that um you're actually you after me and my buddy you're the first interview we're doing with someone outside of the md uh field so why don't you Mm -hmm. tell our our listeners about the do perspective because from my perspective some of the best docs i've ever worked with are do's and there's a huge stigma for some reason still in society where people Mm -hmm. are confused as to what do means and is it the same as md and what like what what's your perspective on it i want to hear you know how you feel about it yeah i mean i never grew up with that stigma just because like my family doctor was a do and like so many of our friends parents who i grew up with who were surgeons were like do so i was like all right it's like the same thing but then when i started to research it more um i hate to say it's the same thing because it's it basically is the same thing but there are you know different aspects that make it uh, its own unique thing or else it would just be the same thing um you know you still learn your traditional allopathic medicine like medications imaging like you need that stuff obviously um the osteopathic principle is just kind of like you know real quick take a step back look at the patient holistically like is there anything that we're missing that, you know, potentially reversible causes? Let's take the whole patient into account. Is there a stressor in their life? Is there a certain event that's causing this? Is there a certain thing they're doing, sitting, standing, that's causing this acute issue? Uh, we also learn manipulative medicine, and that's it's such a spectrum even in that. It's just like traditional MSK stuff with manipulation that chiropractors and physical therapists learn, soft tissue uh, massage techniques that also physical therapists use, but then there's um, just different like viscerosomatic versus somatic visceral, where it's like, uh, you know, kind of the visceral organs um, that are injured or, you know, are pathologic. They can possibly cause some sort of like um, somatic symptoms that you can kind of palpate and see. Like, you know, if someone has back pain, you're kind of thinking, is this referred pain from somewhere else? Is it coming from like their hips or different things like that, which is so practical even for like, if you talk to the people who are like even ortho and MD, they're like, yeah, like that's so smart. Like, or they agree with that in terms of like, is this knee pain or is this like hip pain or is this like thoracic pain that's like shifted them 
all the way down to their knee. So it's just kind of taking a step back and looking at the patient more as a whole rather than one just acute problem and hyper-focusing on it. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it comes from ignorance, right? You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. had never had a DO as a doctor or yeah. they'd never heard of it and then they hear about it and they're like, oh, what's this? I don't know what it is, so I'm going to just, you know, talk badly about it, which doesn't yeah. make sense to me. But also, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, uh, you can't get too bent out of shape about it because it's yeah. just, you know, at the end of the day, you're still a doctor, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> and that's, uh, right. I think that's the most important thing. And you got into this because, you know, this is something you've wanted to do since you said like 12th grade. That's crazy, man. This, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's a long, it's a long road. Um, it but, is. but I mean, this is awesome that you're at this point. And, uh, you know, speaking of which, I don't even know if we've mentioned family medicine is three years, correct? Three years. Yep. Three years. So family medicine, three years fellowship in many different, um, specialties. Uh, mm-hmm. and I know you're very interested in sports medicine. So as a whole, when you look at family medicine, where do you feel like the future is going? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the future, I feel like there just needs, I feel like there's a disconnect of education that I feel like family medicine can help provide in terms of, you know, we, I feel like even when we were growing up, we didn't know this much about nutrition. Like people weren't working out. Like there's kids like see it in the gym all the time who are like 12, 14 who are like working out. Like we just kind of like played sports and like we never really focused on that. So I think family medicine doctors have a huge role upcoming. It just, um, educating the general population about preventative disease. And that's what I hope to do in terms of just like, there are so many things that we can just start reversing and just like, don't do certain things and your life will just, there's less of a chance of you getting all these diseases just because of weight gain and the sedentary lifestyle is like creeping up on us so hard with like the advent of all this technology that it's like, I feel like family medicine providers, um, you you see these people from when they were young to when they're old and just like, constantly reminding them like, Hey, you need to like watch this. You need to like keep moving, stay active. So that's where I kind of see it going. Yeah. Just more reinforcement of those principles. And it seems, seems like, you know, the more technology we get and, you know, Amazon prime delivers same day now. So it's like people are expecting things to be immediate. Um, you know, we have this society of instant gratification And that's, I think, one of the biggest problems for medicine because now you're going to have all these urgent cares popping open. You're going to have all these people going to the ER for non-emergencies, which happens constantly, and no one following up with their primary care doctor. And a lot of it stems from the instant gratification. And I feel like we need to educate the public that if you do these, these small things, these very small things, but you have someone talk to you extensively about them, and really have you understand, you know, incorporate things like teach back method, you can really impact these people's lives in the long run. Because at the end of the day, when these people are, you know, 55 and they haven't taken care of themselves their whole lives, they're coming to me for a massive coronary. And, you know, this is something that could have been prevented. Uh, and it's, uh, it's really important, preventative medicine in general. So Family medicine, everybody. Uh, Dr. Vinny Patel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, is there anything you want to shout out right now? No, just um, yeah. I guess just check out my uh, both my Instagram pages. I have uh, at Vinny Patel and then at Ravin Patel underscore. 
and just want to thank you guys for having me on. This is super fun. Yeah, absolutely. And if you guys don't wear figs, wear figs. Because Vinny's, <laughs> Vinny's got a little code there, too. Definitely what? wear figs. And then yeah. if, you, if you're going to buy the figs, figs x Vinny Patel will save you some money. Nice, nice. All right, guys. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, we'll figure out who's going to be on next time. So don't you worry. All right. Have a good night, everybody.